0: This is Steve Farrar, and I am making a correction to a passage of Scripture that I will refer to later in this CD, but I wanted to alert you up front. Uh, The passage is a bruised reed, He Shall Not Break, and it's found in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 3. But for some reason, uh, as I was alluding to the passage, I alluded to Isaiah 41. So if you look in Isaiah 41, you won't find it. But if you look in Isaiah 42, it will be there. Sorry for the mistake. Sorry for the error. Father, it was one of the psalm writers who, who asked you to lead him on level ground. That's a great thing to pray. So oftentimes... Uh, as we're on this journey, as we're on this, uh, we're walking this trail of life, um, we encounter uh, ups and we encounter downs. And uh, sometimes those changes come, uh, they come fast and they come furious. And we, uh, we, at times, W- wonder why the road is so difficult. And there are times when we would just simply ask for level ground for a while. We, we, we understand from the scriptures that, um, that, that the Christian life is, is a life where we are extremely blessed, but it's a life where we are very challenged by adversity and by hardship. We're challenged because we're going, we're going upstream all of the time as opposed to downstream. We're never floating on a tube down the river. We're always having to paddle hard upstream because we go against the current of the world. We go against the, the current of the world's thinking. Um, we are following you, and there is a very strong world system that is against you. We see it all the time, we, we see it in the media, we see it on the news, we, we see it in the political world, uh, we see it uh, at work, and at times we just, uh, we get a little, we get a little tired and we would pray with the psalmist, lead me on level ground. We thank you for the times where we have a chance to catch our breath. We thank you for the times that we have uh, an opportunity to get perspective. And Lord, the fact of the matter is, is that we usually have to carve out those times to get along with you. We, we have to set aside time to be uh, in your word and to, to have quiet and to have solitude. There is so much action. There is so much communication. There are so many devices where we're staying in touch with everybody that can dominate us so that we get out of touch with you. So as we walk through this journey, I pray for each man in here that you would enable us to see the priority of getting some solitude, uh, getting some time away from the phone and away from the the email and the text, uh, and to just get alone with you and to be still and to know that you are God. What a difference that makes. We just need time to contemplate and we need time to think. And we need time to remember the facts of who you are and what you have promised to do for us. So tonight, we ask for uh, encouragement. We ask that you would recalibrate us we, we ask that you would give us a perspective that perhaps we have lost in the last several days. Just, Lord, just kind of get us back right. Uh, sometimes guys dislocate shoulders playing ball. Sometimes, though, Lord, we dislocate our thinking, just living life. Just, just pop, pop it back in where it needs to be. And give us that perspective. Then, we'll, then, 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 it's all different. We're not in this by ourselves. You're leading us. You're behind us. You're on every side as we walk this trail. So even if it's not level ground, if it's up, if it's down, we're not by ourselves. Now encourage us tonight, as we open the pages of your word, give us what we need. We would ask, and we don't even pretend to know what we need, but you do. We'll look to you to provide that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, we are continuing in our study uh, on David's life. This time around, we're looking at David and his issues, David and his stuff, David and his baggage. Uh, D- David was a David was real. David was authentic. Uh, when when you look at uh, the Psalms, basically half of them were written by David, and when David is interacting with the Lord, he feels very secure. Yeah. When he's interacting with the Lord, he feels safe. You know, um, years ago, when Promise Keepers took off, and that, those are really exciting times, to have big arenas and big stadiums full of guys. And one of the things that came out of that is that everybody was talking about getting into accountability groups. And a lot of those groups are still going. Uh, I run into guys all the time. That have been in uh, small groups for um, 15 years, 18 years. And that's a great thing. Um, all the groups that started did not keep going. And, and the, there's a reason for that, is when, when you're talking about an accountability group, you're talking about honesty at a certain level. Now here's the deal. You just don't sit down with four or five guys you've never met before and start peeling back the layers of your life and start telling them everything that's going on in your life. Why? Well, I know I wouldn't do that. It's because I don't know them, and if I don't know them, I don't trust them. You ever been burned by a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point, if I'm looking for an electrician in the yellow pages and he's got a fish sign on his ad, I won't call him. I've gotten a little jaded. Not always. I'm kind of kidding around there. But now, here's how you get into good groups. They take time to develop. Uh, It's like any other kind of relationship. Uh, You grow into it. You don't suddenly start divulging the deepest things of your life unless you know somebody, unless you know they're on your team, unless you know that they can be trusted, unless you know that they're committed to you and you're committed to them, good, bad, you know, victory, defeat. You're committed for the long haul. And they're trustworthy. I think someone, it was, who was it? Uh, It was John Gardner who wrote a book on... uh, Was it called Excellence? It it was an excellent book, and it was on leadership. And Gardner was speaking at a business school, one of the Ivy League business schools, and he was talking about leadership and the importance of a leader being um, developing trust. And they had a question and answer period, and one of these guys in an Ivy League school who probably had a perfect score in the SAT asked this question. Uh, He said, well, how does a leader develop trust? And Gardner looked at him and said, by being trustworthy. Trust is earned. You don't read a book and become someone who can create a climate of trust. You don't get a title and become someone who creates a climate of trust. You, you become trustworthy, or you, or you create a climate of trust by being trustworthy. You see. And, and what I'm saying to you is, it just makes sense that... If you're really going to come clean, if you're really going to be honest with somebody, uh, there has to be, you have some miles on the tires. There's there's a reason that you would trust that person. Because someone you don't trust, you're not going to go that deep because you're going to make yourself vulnerable and you don't know what they're going to do with the information. When you look at David's life, he is very, very open. He is very honest with God. He expresses what's on his heart all the way through the Psalms and this is why I think I think the Psalms are particularly masculine because they were written by men Um, David was a man's man and when he hits certain events in his life he just he feels safe with the Lord he knows that the Lord is for him he knows that the Lord is on his team he is secure in in the love of God and so he can just be honest and is Uh, authentic and is vulnerable. That's why the guy is so honest in Psalms. And that is why as we look at what David has written in the Psalms and in other Psalms, as we go through our journeys in life, we will come across something in the Psalms that describes to a T our experience, what what the intersection of our life is at that current moment. And, And we identify with it. Why? Because he was a man's man he was in relationship with God and he is expressing from his heart what very few men ever express and we connect with it now one of the things that David dealt with as he went through life um, I've been trying to give these one title descriptions like a man in his fear or a man and his guidance, or a, okay, I got a problem tonight because this one tonight is um, if I title this thing for the CD, it's it's probably going to be this: a man and his discouragement and depression. If there was more room on the label, I'd put another word in because I would go discouragement, depression, and despair. Because you see, there is a connection between those three things. When you look in the Psalms, you often see David expressing the fact that he is discouraged. You will often see him expressing the fact that he is depressed. And at times, you will see him almost in utter despair. In his honesty and in his vulnerability with the Lord. Now, I find that very encouraging, and I'll tell you why I find it encouraging. Because I find myself there at certain times in my life, and so do you. I, I've known a guy for a long time. He just turned 50. I've known him since he was in his 20s. And uh, we've been friends a long time. He called me last week. He lives in another state. And he has been very successful in business, extremely successful. Uh, he just has. And he was, uh, he was calling me because he was invited. There is a group of young executives that meets in his city on a, I don't know, monthly basis or something. Well, he was asked to come in and give his testimony, his story. Um, he had about 40 minutes to speak. And he said, I've been working on this thing. And, um, you know, I, I pretty much, I've got it all outlined. And I was going over it with my wife last night. And then she made this comment, and this is why I'm calling. I want to run this comment by you. She said, well, that's all good. It's very good. She said, you left out one thing. And he said, what's that? And she said, you've left out your battle with depression. He said, you know, I did leave it out, Steve. She thought that I ought to tell these guys that I've struggled with depression. What do you think? I said, I think you ought to as well. And I'll tell you why. Because you're 50. God has given you some really remarkable success. So how old are these guys? He said, oh, most of them are in their 30s, you know. Yeah, 30s pretty much. I said, well, here's the deal. See, they're looking at you, and they don't know everything in your life, but they see you, and you see your family, and you're following the Lord. And they're thinking, I'd like my life to look like his, I'd like my life to look like his life when I'm his age. Uh, I think it would help them to know that you've struggled with depression. And I, I, I will tell you this. I think if you share some of that, there's going to be an instant rapport. Because I will tell you this. A lot of those guys are dealing with depression. Most guys in this room are dealing with depression. In one shape or another. Now, there are some guys who never deal with depression. They are out there. They have nerves of steel. Their temperament is such that they just don't get depressed. Um, If that's you, thank God for it. But most guys, most guys to one degree or another, in their journey, in their walk with Christ, are going to deal with depression, some more than others. Because uh, depression can be from a physical cause, Depression can um, have a spiritual cause. Um, depression can come from a, uh, a sense of loss in our lives. Uh, some people, there are physical reasons why they have depression. But, but for many guys, when we first deal with depression, is because of a loss. Some kind of major loss in your life. It can accumulate over time, or it can be a major loss that comes at once. Uh, it can be looking back over the years, and, and there are guys who look back over the years, they really got serious about the Lord later in life, and they look back over those years and they say, Oh my gosh, I wasted all those years. Um, uh, other guys will work very hard, they'll have a financial reversal, and they'll get cleaned out. Man, that's a major loss. Or a guy, uh, 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 well, his wife will die of cancer, or uh, a divorce, a wife will leave. Uh, all kinds of things, but those are major losses. And, and the way most of us are constructed, when there is a loss, you're going to go through some depression. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, they call him the Prince of Preachers. Uh, preached in London in the 1800s. Um, incredible. At the age of 19 had 10,000 people lined up for four hours to get in to hear him preach in London at the age of 19. He he was just remarkably gifted. Um, He wrote a book, he he actually started a a college for for ministers to train them. Um, And each year he would go in and he would speak to the incoming class and he did a series of lectures and it was published in his book the book is called lectures to my students and one of the things that he would cover with them with these young uh... rookies who were going into ministry is that he would cover uh... he would he would talk to them uh... about the chapter title or the subject title is the ministers fainting fits now you don't have to be a minister you don't have to be in quote-unquote quote uh, professional ministry for this to apply to you. Uh, I'll just pick up the first page, just read you a blurb, all right? This is how he introduces this to these young guys, most of them who haven't dealt with depression, but he wants them to know it's probably coming. He says, Knowing by most painful experience what deep depression of spirit means, being visited therewith at seasons, and by no means few or far between, I thought it might be consolatory to some of you, if I gave my thoughts thereon, that younger men might not fancy that some strange thing had happened to them when they become for a season possessed by melancholy, depression. And that sadder men might know that one upon whom the sun has shone right joyously did not always walk in the light. He's talking about himself. People would look at Spurgeon and say, my gosh, he's the most successful preacher in the world. And he was. He was. But see, he immediately out of the blocks of these young guys to know. Have I been blessed by God? Yeah, I have. But let me tell you about the depression that I deal with on a, um, <laughs> almost on a weekly basis. See, that's why I told my friend who called me, tell them about your depression. It'll encourage them. Guys who are depressed need to know they're not the first guys to ever deal with depression. It's pretty common. Um... It's not out of the ordinary. When you read, interesting to me, when I read biographies of Christian leaders, no matter where they are in church history, the vast majority of them have dealt with depression. Men greatly used by God. Well, why do they deal with depression? Because they're in the thick of the battle. That's why. It's, it's, It's not an easy path, this Christian life. So we're going to talk about Discouragement, depression, and uh, sometimes despair. Okay? Let's, uh, aren't you glad you came tonight? Isn't this encouraging? (laughs) It is encouraging. It is encouraging because if you're dealing with it, it's okay to be dealing with it. It's all right. This isn't an ice cream social we're in here, guys. You know, this Christian life, it's, it's not, it, it's, this Christian life is, is, is a man's battle. It's hard stuff. It is warfare. It's the trenches in World War I. It's brutal, brutal stuff. I think it was England in World War I, the very first battle, they, in, in one day, they lost, they had over 50,000 men killed. Now, that's how many we had in Vietnam. They lost them in a day. This is one tough battle, and is there going to be some depression? Is there going to be some post-traumatic syndrome? Yeah, there is. Turn with me to Psalm 6. I want to give you some glimpses of the fact that depression is not unusual. It's fairly normal in the Christian life. All right? Um, Psalm 6. And I'm not going to deal with all these psalms verse by verse. I just want to pull out some verses to show you, because uh, we're going to see in some of these psalms, David just uh, pulls back the curtain and reveals what he's dealing with and what's going on in his heart. Uh, in, in Psalm 6, there's, I'll just say this. Psalm 6, there's some sort of life-threatening situation going on in David's life. He says in verse 3 that his soul is greatly dismayed. Okay, now look at verse six. He says, this stuff, whatever it is, it's got him. It's got him by the throat. He says, I am weary with my sign. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. Oh, this is interesting. You ever cry? No, I don't cry. <laughs> no, nah, not me. We don't like to cry. Guys don't like to cry because we think we think it's not manly. You know what I find interesting? God, physiologically, your breasts are different from your wife's breasts. I don't know if you picked up on this. <laughs> and aren't you glad you came tonight? Because I got all kinds of insights here. Men and women both have breasts, but female breasts are different than. Yeah, you're getting it. You're following me, aren't you? You're tracking. Me. You knew this before you came in here. Okay. Now I find I find something very interesting that God created women with tear ducts, but men don't have tear ducts. Oh yeah, they do. Why would men have tear ducts? For tears. Yeah, it's an evolutionary concept, isn't it, Ron, that developed over the years. Yeah. The Australian aardvark does not have tear ducts. It's very interesting. We're fooling around here. Just forget that. Men have tear ducts. Why do they have tears? Tear ducts. Because sometimes you need to let the tears go. Sometimes. And sometimes it happens at night. I might have mentioned to you Charles Hodge. Um, I was reading his biography, the great scholar, the great theologian at Princeton Seminary in the 1800s. 1800s? Yeah. 19th century, which was the 1800s. And Hodge, there were six people in his life that he was very, very close to, including his wife. They all, those six people all died within six years. I mean, he was close, including his wife. And um, it, it took him down. It just took him down. When his wife died, that was it. His, uh, his children would hear him in a study, sobbing, crying. It just took him down. What a loss. An incredible loss. Just boom, 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 boom. Not just acquaintances or people he went to school. Uh, people that he was extremely close to. He had confided in, who knew him. He trusted them. He depended on them. Suddenly, they're all taken away. That's tremendous loss. There were some tears. There are tears here. Uh, hey, and, uh, you know, and it's okay. Listen, sometimes, um, if you let it go, man. It's all right. I saw, I saw a thing on ESPN I'd never seen before. Uh, on Tom Landry. They did a documentary. And they were talking about all the... You know, we think of Coach Landry as being so successful, but you guys are in Dallas and, you know, are old enough. Hey, listen. They didn't have the greatest start in the world. And there, there was a lot of uh, people that wanted him out of there early on because they just couldn't pull the trigger. They just couldn't win the big games. And... Uh, Landry was a very interesting guy. I mean, he basically had the mindset of an engineer. And he had certain things that were just scripted, and he expected everyone that all just to work, just like sketching out a bridge, and we're going to build this bridge, and everyone's got to, you know, and if you don't play your part. Well, it was very interesting because I was watching this, and there was a certain point after maybe five or six seasons where they had suffered another just horrifying defeat. Again, they should have won, but it was just the latest in a series of, of devastating years, disappointing years. And it, I can't remember, it might have been Walt Garrison, they were interviewing. he said, I'll never forget, Coach Landy w- walked in there. We just had this, this final loss, and he walked in there, and he started to address us. And suddenly he put his head down, and he started crying. We'd never seen Coach Landy cry before. And then he apologized to us because he said he had been too rigid. And it was on him. He had not been a good leader. He had been too rigid in his approach. And he apologized to us in tears. And he said, well, we were ready for the next season to begin right there. And it was different from then on. Because, see, we saw his heart. We saw his heart. We didn't even know he could cry. But he did. He was a man's man, but he had tears. Sometimes that's the most appropriate thing you can do. David did it. I'm weary with my sign. I love this. Every night I make my bed swim. Why? Because of his tears. This, you know what this is? This guy's in big-time depression. He's discouraged and he's depressed. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of my adversaries. He's just sick and tired of being in this stuff. He's worn out. I, I, I mean, really, what you, sometimes... Sometimes the battle, and sometimes whatever it is that we're dealing with that won't go away, you know what happens to it? It exhausts us. We just get exhausted. And when you get exhausted, what you need to do is you need to sleep. But this guy can't go to sleep because his heart is so heavy, and he is so burdened, and he is so... He's just depressed. Go to Psalm 25, if you would. Now here, and, and, and again, I'm just, I'm highlighting. Psalm 6, there was some event threatening him, but there's also some remorse over sin in Psalm 6, as well as in Psalm 25. A lot of times our depression comes because we, we get discouraged because we do not live the way we want to live. We have come to know Christ, he has done so much for us, we want to change our behavior, we want to change our habits, we want to change, we want to grow, we want to mature, but we'll fall back into things that we should not be falling back into. And what happens is, is, is that we, we get so down on ourselves, we, we get so beat up, we, we well, look at this, look at Psalm 25. In essence, he's just to give you one context, look at verse 7. He says, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. These are vain regrets. Man, did I ever do some dumb things in the past. Lord, don't, don't hold those against me. But note, note, where's what I'm after? Note verse 16. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. When, when you're depressed, when, when a guy is dealing with discouragement or with depression, and let's talk about discouragement for a minute, okay? What is discouragement? Discouragement is the loss of courage. That's what it is. When you are discouraged, it's like, it's like somebody rolls you in the jiffy lube, puts you on the rack. And somebody reaches up and pulls the drain plug on your crankcase of courage. And suddenly, for whatever reason, your courage is gone. Some event, some failure, uh, you've disappointed God, you've disappointed yourself, and what happens is the life is taken out of you. Your courage is gone, and you're in a battle. All your courage is gone. You are discouraged. You are out of courage you were running on fumes. And so, therefore, you lose your hope, you lose your joy, you lose your enthusiasm. You're not upbeat, you're down. You're, you're not, uh, you, you don't have a grateful heart. You've got a, a heart that is uh, frustrated and you're beating yourself up. And your outlook is not positive, it's not optimistic. Uh, you, you're not focusing on grace, you're focusing on your failure. You see? And, and what happens is we've lost our courage. Well, when we lose our courage, what has to happen is somehow you've got to put that drain plug back in. And then you've got to put courage back in the crankcase. You need a fresh dose of courage. And this happens in the Christian life. We lose courage. All right. What, what, so I've lost courage. All right. Now what do I mean? I need courage. God uses different things to put courage into our hearts. Uh, he'll use the word of God. He'll use friends to encourage us. Now note this. Note this, He says, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely. Now, if you know anything about David's life, David was rarely lonely. There are always people around David. Here's my point. It doesn't mean David was isolated necessarily from other people. I mean, that can happen. Guys can get isolated and you're lonely. But the point is this. You can have people around you, but they are not people that are feeding into your life. There are are people around you, but they are not putting energy or courage into you. They are taking it out of you. That's why he, he says, I'm lonely. The, the Christian life is a hard life. I've made the statement before there are two things you can't do by yourself. You can't get married by yourself. I mean, at least not yet. I'm sure, that's coming. <laughs> the second thing you can't do is you can't live the Christian life by yourself. Jesus sent them out two by two. The two are stronger than one. The Christian life is not lived to be in isolation. God uses people to put courage in. When one is down, the other is up. One falls into a pit, the other pulls them out, vice versa. You know, yeah, it's, a, it's a two-man deal here. I am lonely and afflicted. Watch this. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. This is, this is someone who is discouraged and depressed. My my problems aren't shrinking. They're getting bigger and bigger. He says, look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Let's go to Psalm 31. Verse 9. He says, be gracious to me, O God, for I am in distress. He just comes out with it. He just lays it on the table. Now, look at this. My eye is wasted away from grief. Um, When you have loss, you're going to have some grief. If you lose someone in your life, if they die, you're going to go through a grief process. Uh, I've talked to several people who've read Dr. Uh, Richard Maybury's book. And Dr. Mabry is right here. Tell me the name of your book again, Doc. Tender Scar. Tender Scar. Ten- okay, Tender Scar. So Dr. Maybury's a medical doctor. His wife went to be with the Lord several years ago. He's since remarried. But he wrote a book on the grief process. So whenever I have someone call me or Uh, a lady that Mary and I have known for years. We knew her in California 35 years ago. Now lives in Florida. Got an email from her. Her husband had passed away just several weeks before. She she said, Steve, I'm, I'm in New York City. I'm in a court case. Normally my husband would be here with me. I'm here all by myself. I'm so discouraged. Is there anything I could read? I looked on the shelf, found Dr. Maybury's book, and I said, get this. And about a week later, she said, within 10 minutes, I had that thing downloaded into my Kindle. And it helped me so much. Because she was lonely. Well, he knew what it is to be lonely. You see, these afflictions we have, God works so interestingly, doesn't he? these losses that we have in our life, have you ever prayed and have you ever asked God to use you? Yeah, you have. Well, then expect some difficulty. Because the way that you get qualified for ministry is through suffering and through some grief and through some loss. If it's the loss of a spouse, if it's the loss of a career, if it's the loss of um, years due to addiction. You know the guys who are really effective with guys coming out of addiction are the guys that have been in addiction and have come out of it. Isn't it interesting how this works? Our suffering is purposeful. The guys come in, oh, my life's over, I'll never be used, I have no future. Well, that's how I felt. That's how you felt, yeah. Well, you're being pretty productive, yeah, I know. But see, I was where you were, but God came into my life, and let me tell you, he can do for you what he did for me, da, da, da. You see? My eye is wasted away from grief. Watch this. My soul and my body also. Uh, Discouragement and depression. And see, this is where we have to be careful that we don't allow this to go all the way to despair because it it affects the entire body. He says, my eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. What happens when you see believers... take their own lives they have gotten into despair where they have lost all perspective they they have been uh, ambushed by the enemy and they see no way out even though they know the Lord and all perspective is gone and they do something that if they were in a normal state of mind they would never do but you see, they have gotten into despair. It affects the entire person. Um, my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. It's just not David that deals with this stuff. Um, we looked at this recently, but I want to show it to you one more time. Go over to First. No, go to Second Corinthians real quick. When I went through my depression in my early thirties, um, I, remember, I, I remember one particular day where it was so bad that I wished that I could have died. If, if, if the Lord had have said to me, all right, go get in your car, get on the freeway, and I'm going to send an 18-wheeler to come and hit you head on. And my life insurance was paid up. And so Mary and my two kids, one on the way, would be taken care of. I mean, that was the first day of my life where I understood how somebody could take their life. I was in such depression and such despair. It was also on that day that I read Second Corinthians. Let me get to the passage. That, that I opened up my Bible, and I read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. And I'm sure I'd read it before, but it came off the page to me and encouraged me greatly. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, watch this, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life itself. I'm going to tell you something. That helped me. It helped me because that was exactly how I was feeling. And then I thought, you mean the Apostle Paul felt that way? Paul? That helped me. Because Paul's the giant of the New Testament. I mean, he was hand-picked hand by the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was the great persecutor of the church and becomes the great theologian of the church. And, and Paul, who knew all this truth and was used mightily of God, he got worn out. He got depressed. He was on the verge of despair. He wished, Paul wished, it was so bad, he wished that he could have died. That's how I felt that day. See that's why, if you have a—that's why I told my friend who called me. What do you think? You, you know, Sharon thinks I had to say something about my depression. Say it. Paul said it. Man, did that ever help me? If he had said, "My life's been wonderful. All my 401ks are loaded. I'm gonna—in fact, this is my last missionary journey. I'm gonna go ahead and go to the Pacific Islands, and I'm gonna go ahead and retire." And uh, fish every day, and uh, that, that, he had to say that, that would have just discouraged me. You see, Here was a man greatly used by God. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to be depressed. He knew what it was to be discouraged. He knew what it was to be on the verge of despair. Oh, let' me show you something. So when you're there, how does God help us? Uh, go over to Second Corinthians. Come on, where is it? Oh yeah, look at 7.5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. Dadgummit, I'm glad he said that. Because that's how I feel a lot of the time. Conflicts without, fears within. And so do you. But watch this. But God, who comforts the depressed, who's depressed? Paul is. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. See, there it is. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. So Paul's down in the dumps. He's all over himself. He's upset. Um... This weekend, when I was speaking wherever I was, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, I uh, I felt like here's something I got to watch all the time. Uh, I have to. Wa- I, I my, my bent is to declare truth. Um, Proverbs says, "Wrap truth and kindness around your neck." Did you get that? wrap truth and kindness around your neck. I have never in my life been accused of being overly kind. <laughs> Ever. My bent is not towards kindness. My bent is, through, is, is towards truth-telling and being bold and being blunt. And see, I talk to guys all the time. And with guys... You're not doing a ladies' retreat. It's just a bunch of guys. So what do you do? You throw fastballs high and inside. Because they're guys. Now, you can't do that in a mixed group the same way. And you don't do it constantly. Um, but with guys, you know what, guys, guys? Guys want straight shooting. They want, they just, they want, tell it to me straight. You know that. That's, we all want that. I'm tired of the sugar-coating. You hear this all the time. Now, now, the danger I have to watch is that, though, in, in telling the truth and in being bold and sometimes being blunt, you know, blunt instruments can kill. I can become, and, and I, before I speak, I ask the Lord all the time to edit me and to put borders around me because I don't want to cross the line. I I can become harsh. I've done it, and I can do it. It's easy for me to cross that line, and when I do it, it's wrong. And it is not under the control of the Spirit of God. It's fleshly. Um, And the reason I'm bringing this up is that this weekend... I walked away from there thinking that I had crossed that line. So I had a conversation and asking, did I cross the line? I was really concerned about it. And the feedback was, no, actually you didn't. And I said, well, good. Good, because I, I, I was right up against it. No, but no, it was all right. Okay, good, good. That helped me. That encouraged me because I can easily go across that line. You know what was interesting? The next day, I was reminded of of a time about 10 years ago when I did cross the line in a large group. And I don't know why it came to me the way that it did, but it did. And I crossed the line, and I was somewhat angry. What I said biblically was correct, but I said it in a wrong way, and I said it in a harsh way. And I think I did some damage. Now, this was t- 10 years ago. Why, did, why was I suddenly going back there? See, I was just thinking about the weekend. Okay, we're good there. But suddenly, I'm thinking about something that happened 10 years ago. Why am I thinking about that? I don't know, but suddenly I was. And I started thinking about man. I wish I could get my hands on every one of those CDs that's out there. But I can't. I can't control that. It's out there. Now, the truth is, my CDs are in a closet somewhere, gathering dust, or in a dumpster, so I really don't have much to worry about. But, the thought that somebody might be listening see, I wish I could go back and undo that, and then I'm thinking, my gosh, it's out there, I could still be doing damage. And I was really getting down on myself. I, I, quite frankly, I became very discouraged, and I became very depressed over it. And I was kicking myself, because I knew better. Why, why did I do that? And I really kind of got myself tormented. Pretty much most of Monday over. I'm just being honest with you. I was discouraged. So, anyway. Um, I was having a hard time. Um, I, I was kind of feeling like these passages i have been reading. I, I wasn't crying, but I was pretty, I was tortured, I have to say that. Has it ever happened to you guys? I know, the, I, I know it doesn't. I know you're, you're, it does, we're men. We're men. So I got a stack of books from the old Puritan pastors. In my library, I do. So I go over and I pick up the bruised reed by uh, Richard Sibbs, which was written in the 1600s. And uh, I'm kind of flipping through it. And I made about six marks, Jim. You see those yellow? I come across this one page. Um, It's called The Source of Discouragements. And he asks the question. He says, where then, he's talking about the Christian life and men who are trying to follow the Lord and love the Lord, you know, okay. Where then do these discouragements come from? Number one, not from the Father. Here's number two, not from Christ. Here's number three, neither do discouragements come from the Holy Spirit. Where do they come from? They come from the enemy. Why was I suddenly thinking about something 10 years ago that I hadn't thought about in years? Why was that suddenly on my plate? Why was I suddenly thinking about it? It was a spiritual attack, quite frankly. And man, I just kept chewing it, chewing it, chewing it. Oh my gosh, why did I do it? Why, why was I not? Why, wh- I knew better. Why didn't I have more control of myself? Why did I let my emotions get to me and say things I shouldn't have said? And all the CDs are out there. Man, I was discouraged. I mean, I was discouraged. So I go over there and I'm fishing. I do that all the time. I'm fishing for something to help me. I found it. So then, where do discouragements come from? Not from the Father, not from Christ, not from the Holy Spirit. They come from the accuser of the brethren. Oh, by the way, this book is called The Bruised Reed. What's that about? In Isaiah 41, speaking of Christ, the Messiah, who is to come, Isaiah 41 says, A bruised reed is he shall not break, and the smoking flax, he shall not quench. What the heck does that mean? Smoking flax. Isn't that something you get at Whole Foods? (laughs) Well, a bruised reed, we can understand. A reed in a pond or a creek, you've seen those reeds growing, okay? A reed that is bruised Christ will not break. A smoking flax, he will not quench. Back then, their candles, the wicks, would be made of flax. And when a candle was on its last legs, it would begin to smoke. It was fighting to stay alive And you see, the point is, a smoking wick, a smoking flax, he will not extinguish. Why? Because he's a great savior to those who are burdened and depressed and discouraged and on the verge of despair. I found it interesting, I'd forgotten about this, one of my all-time favorite books by Martin Lloyd-Jones, is called Spiritual Depression. That's the book that helped me more than any other book when I went through my two to three year depression um, back in my early 30s. I would, I would read something out of that book. I don't think I'm exaggerating. I, I read something out of that book every day for three years. I might have missed a day. Not, not boy, I'll tell you, it'd be close to not missing at all in three years. That book was a healing balm. It was so full of Scripture. Now, why did Dr. Lloyd-Jones minister to me so deeply in that book? Because he knew what it was to be depressed. Later, when I read his biography, I found out when he was a young pastor, he had a season of deep depression. You know what's interesting? On the back of this book... That originally was written in the 1600s. There is an endorsement from Martin Lloyd Jones, and it says this: "I shall never cease to be grateful to Richard Sibbs, who was a balm to my soul at a period in my life when I was overworked and badly overtired, and therefore subject in an unusual manner to the onslaughts of the devil. I found at that time that Richard Sims, who was known in London in the early 17th century as the Heavenly Doctor Sibbs." was an unfailing remedy. The bruised reed quieted, soothed, comforted, encouraged, and healed me. Isn't that wild? What helped him? You know why Martin Lloyd-Jones helped me so much? Because he didn't help by this guy who wrote a book 300 years before Lloyd-Jones wrote his book. let me give you a couple shots out of this. i got 47 pages I want to read to you out of this book. Because <laughs> see, you see, see why are you reading this? Well, because we're talking about discouragement and depression and despair. And, and, and once again, guys, a lot of guys here are in this. We don't look like it, but we are. Because of different things in your life. Some guys are just about at their wits end. Not everybody, but some. Uh, (laughs) If any of these verses, as we've been reading them, if they relate to you at all, you see you're a bruised reed. Listen to what Sib says. The bruised reed is a man that for the most part is in some misery. And by misery, he is brought to see sin as the cause of it. You see, that's why I was so upset Monday. Because uh, my regret over that speaking session was that I'd gotten myself into sin. I'd crossed the biblical line. And a lot of times our, our depression... And our discouragement is because we have failed and we have fallen short of a biblical standard and our own standard. Okay. So, a bruised reed is a man who is miserable, and oftentimes it has to do with his own sin and his own shortcomings. He goes on and he says this Are you bruised? Be of good comfort. He calls you. See, here's what happens when we get depressed and we fail, and We see the sin in our life, and we screwed up. You you know what we think? We think, I can't go to the Lord. That's that's what you're feeling. You you feel that you really don't want to go there. Why? Because you screwed it up. You're guilty. You're the one who messed up. And and in a sense, you know you can, but in another sense, you don't want to do it. And, And you'll have these different... Thoughts that that come to your mind, well, you can't go back to the Lord again. Listen to this. Are you bruised? Be of good comfort. He calls you. Conceal not your wounds, open all before him, and take not Satan's counsel. Don't listen to it. If there is discouragement in your life, it's not from Christ, it's from Satan. Satan is the great discourager. Um... How do we grow in the Christian life? Listen to this. Christ's way is first to wound, then to heal. When we get off, what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us of sin. Why does he convict it of sin? So that we'll repent, we'll turn, and we'll go the right way. Right? Yeah. Okay, now watch this. Christ's way is first to wound, then to heal. No, I love this. This next line. No sound hole, whole, W-H-O-L-E, No sound, whole soul shall ever enter into heaven. No perfect people will ever get into heaven, because there are no perfect people. There are broken people that Christ has redeemed. Now listen to this. This is brilliant. And all the way through this book, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the mercy of Christ. The mercy of Christ. If you're bruised, he's not gonna break you. Listen to this. If Christ be so merciful as not to break me, I will not break myself by despair. Did you catch that? Nor yield myself over to the roaring lion Satan to break me into pieces. I'm gonna read that one more time because this is what we do. This is what I was doing. If Christ be so merciful as not to break me, he's not gonna break me. Well, I will not break myself by despair. Or give myself over to the roaring lion, Satan, to break me in pieces. I need to stand in who I am in Christ. I'm not perfect, but I belong to Christ. I'm going to finish with this. Psalm 42. When you're struggling with discouragement, and you're struggling with... And listen, guys, this can come... Discouragement, depression can come from so many different ways... Um, In Spurgeon's book, he gives gives several tips as to when to be on the lookout. I'm going to Psalm 42. I haven't forgotten it. He gives several tips when you should expect an attack of depression or discouragement. Number one, depression often comes after a great success. Okay, If you had a great success, thank God for it, but be on the alert because you're probably going to have an attack and you're going to get discouraged and you are going to fight off depression. It happened to Elijah after the greatest success of his life when he took on the prophets of Baal and God gave him a phenomenal victory and the next thing you see in the next chapter, he's in the pit of despair. Uh, Secondly, depression often appears before a great achievement. Things often look the worst before God breaks through. I mean, there are multiple illustrations of this in the scripture. I just think about the story of David and Goliath. We all love that story. And they're all, the whole nation's intimidated. Here's this giant. I mean, they're all intimidated. Here's this giant. Nobody can take this. Again. And here comes this kid with lunch from Subway for his brother. <laughs> and he walks in there and he goes, what's going on? What's, who is that guy over there? That's He said, I'll take that sucker. I'll take him. I took the bear. I took the lion. You did what? I took the bear and the lion. Well, we didn't see that on the news. It wasn't on the news. See, God prepares men in private. He had tremendous courage. He had enough courage to go take on Goliath. No other guy in the whole nation would do that. Oh, by the way, that's the same guy that got depressed and was making his couch swim with tears. Depression can hit the strongest of men. Discouragement can hit the strongest of men. Nobody is exempt from this stuff. Uh, Thirdly, depression can hit in the midst of a long stretch of work with no relief, with no time off. Uh, The bow that is always bent will one day break, Spurgeon says. Uh, Number four, uh, depression can come with one crushing stroke of betrayal or calamity. It can just knock you out. It's a knockout punch from Tyson. You're down for the count. Just boom, you're on your back. No matter what the cause is, in Psalm 42, Note the antidote. There is a refrain that is used one, two, three times in Psalm 42 and 43. I'm going to do it very quickly. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Uh, Literally, in the Hebrew, it's why are you sunk down, O my soul? Now, I want you to see what this guy is doing. Normally, when we are in depression, when we are in discouragement, when you can't sleep at night, when you're overwhelmed, usually what is happening is we are listening to wrong thoughts. We are entertaining a wrong prospectus about the future. Uh, we are pondering our error and our sin and our failures and that will always be a fa- failures and that nothing in our lives will ever change again. That's what happens to us. That's why we're discouraged. Life looks bleak. We lose our hope. We lose our, uh, we lose our trust. We are not to be reasoned with because we are listening to ourselves and to our thoughts that are generated by us or by the enemy. So we're listening to ourselves, watch this. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Note what he's doing here. He is not listening to himself, he is talking to himself. That's how you work your way out of discouragement, that's how you work your way out of depression. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? He is literally talking to himself. You ever seen in the, uh, in the old movies, maybe a World War One or World War II movie, and there's a, a, a great battle and, you know, a young soldier gets panicky and, and begins to get fearful and he won't charge when he's supposed to charge and his commanding officer and the guy started getting hysterical out of his mind and the officer will come up and just slap him in the face about six times. And the guy will just kind of go, thanks, thank, thank you, sir, I needed that. And then he adjusts his helmet and he marches off to war. See, that's what's going on here. Sometimes you got to take yourself just right like this and just slap the crud out of yourself and say, hey, 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 what are you doing? Why are you in despair? Oh, my soul. What the crud are you doing? Look at this. Why are you in despair, oh, my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? I'm going to tell you what I literally do. I've done this on so many occasions I can't even tell you how many. If I'm having trouble in the middle of the night about something or I can't go to sleep, I get up out of bed, I go to my desk, I sit down, I get a legal pad, I write at the top, Psalm 42, Why Are You in Despair, O my Soul? I write it down. And then I list everything that comes to my mind about why I'm in despair, why I'm anxious, why I'm discouraged. I just write it down. If it's a page, if it's two pages, whatever it is, I just write it down. Because I'm not going to go to sleep until I get this resolved. So I just write it all out. I'm very specific. And then, I don't stop there, I go to the next verse. So I give the reasons. Here's why I'm in despair, here's why I'm disturbed. But then I go to the next verse. Hope, and I write this on the page. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his saving acts. See, I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm concerned. Why? Because I don't see any way out. I'm so screwed up, I fail. How many times am I going to fail? Everything I touch, I miss up. So you're down on yourself. You lose all perspective. It's this, it's this, it's this. It's, it's negative, negative. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't see any way out. I don't see any escape. I don't see any hope. But what, what does this guy say? He's talking to himself. Listen, hope in God. You're not the Savior. He is. You don't control events. He does. He made you. He knows you're screwed up. But he can make a way for you when there is no way. Has he ever made a way for me when there was no way? Yeah, he has. Why wouldn't he do it this time? Because I don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it back then. You've never deserved it. But he does it, doesn't he? Hope in God, for I shall again praise. Now, and now he's talking sense. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Because he'll save me. How will he save me? I don't know. But he'll save me. That's what he does. <sighs> I shall again praise him for the help of this presence, or literally for the help of the saving acts. That's how you work your way out. It's a battle. And you've got to fight. But I'll tell you what. We... What did Jesus say in John 8, 31? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. free. From discouragement. From depression. From despair. See, oftentimes when things happen, we're asking the wrong question. We're asking, why did this happen? That's the wrong question. The question we ought to be asking is, how do I get through this? That's why James says, after saying, count it joy when you encounter various trials. Why am I in this trial? Well, he says it's for the testing of your faith. But sometimes we want a deeper answer. And then right after saying that, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Because, see, when we're in it, we can't see any way out of it. He will give you the wisdom to navigate through it. Oh, will he give you the next two weeks on how to navigate it? No, he'll give you what you need for that day. But he'll give it to you. And he'll walk you through. And he'll make a way. And he'll restore to you the joy of your salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the the truth that does set us free. We don't have to be in bondage to this stuff. There is power in the word of God. There is power in truth. But we have to pull the trigger and stop listening to ourselves and start talking truth to ourselves and start talking facts. For the guy who is here that's had trouble sleeping over the last few nights, give him rest tonight. Give him deep sleep. May he wake up refreshed because as he goes to sleep, He's thinking about the truth. That you're there. That you're for him. And that you won't turn him away. And that you will make a way. You give to your beloved even in their sleep. We count on that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.